take your Bibles and go to Psalm 131. Fred Craddock is a well-known preacher, professor of preachers. And uh, when he was a younger man, a younger pastor, going to seminary himself, he went to a small church, served a small church in eastern Tennessee. And uh, it was a small town, but it was one that was experiencing some growth because of a government work project that was occurring in the area. And he said as he went there, he noticed that the church was largely made up of people who had been there forever, he thought. As a matter of fact, it wasn't largely made up of people like that. It was only made up of people like that. So he started driving around the area and looking at the things that were around him, including trailer parks that were being set up and driving through neighborhoods. He saw new homes that were being built with little children playing out in the yard, and he recognized that the community in no way reflected the church that he was serving. So he went back to the church, and he sat down with the uh, leaders of that church, and he said to them in no uncertain terms, some things need to change around here. This church does not reflect the community. We have people who are moving into this area by the droves, and none of them are finding their way into this church, and this church is not finding its way out to them. We have to change in order to meet them. The chairman of that particular group of leaders that he was talking to looked at him, and he said, I don't think so. And Fred, thinking that the guy just didn't understand, he went through a theological, biblical presentation that said, listen, this is our calling, this is our purpose as a church, we have to do this, to which the chairman said again, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, at the next Sunday night meeting that they had a week later, they passed a resolution in that church that said nobody could be a member of that church if they didn't come from a family that owned property in that county. Purpose is important for an organization. And in that particular church, they misread their purpose. Craddock says that later, many years later as a matter of fact, he went back on a just kind of a a vacation type trip and he went back through that community to that church that he had served and he pulled up into the front parking lot of that church and he noticed that something in fact had changed. There was a huge sign out front that said, barbecue, chicken, pork, and ribs. He had to figure, I had to see what that was all about. So he got out and he went inside and he realized that the church had ceased to be. They sold their facility to a restaurant and in where the pews where people used to sit for church, people were sitting and eating barbecue, chicken, pork, and ribs. He looked at his wife and he told her, It's a good thing this isn't a church anymore because these people would have never been welcome here. Purpose is important. We have to work as a church on purpose and with purpose in everything that we do. Because of that, I want to spend the next six Sunday mornings reviewing our purpose as a church. A number of years ago, I did some research and tied to a class that I was taking, and uh, they had us do some research as it relates to organizations and how they function, and especially how they function over a long period of time. 
And in that research, I found something that I found to be intriguing. And then afterwards, as I began to apply that to the churches that I knew about and the churches that I had served, I saw that it wasn't just intriguing. It was also spot on as to how things operate. It's called a growth cycle, excuse me, a life cycle of an organization. Here's a basic idea. Somebody recognizes a need... And so they began to formulate a vision about how that need can be addressed. Take, for instance, the people who founded Apple Computers. Those guys, brainiacs, nerds as they might have been, by the way, now people call them rich nerds, uh, they saw something in the marketplace of the world and said, we can do something to address that. And so a vision is born in those people. In the life cycle of an organization, there is that beginning point, that visionary beginning where people look at it and say, this is what we're about. This is what we focus towards. This is where we put all of our attention and resources. And so they begin to address that need that way. And in this life cycle of organization, you see this immediate uptick in the graph. It starts here, but it quickly moves up at a very high rate of moving uh, forward. They're doing all they can to pull people together, to pull resources together, to do everything they can structurally and otherwise to address that vision that birthed them in the first place. But then something interesting happens along the way. Because if that vision and that purpose is not continually rebirthed in those people's minds, what happens is they reach a point up here and they begin to, make, uh, to level out. That's where this organization now adopts the vision and they replace it, excuse me, they let go of the vision and they replace it and they adopt a maintenance mentality. That is that mentality that says, okay, we just need to make sure that we keep everything working right. Now it's no longer about we have a need to address. Now it is, well, we need to make sure, let me put this in terms of a church. We need to make sure that the air conditioners are working. Hey, let me tell you something. We need in East Texas to make sure that the air conditioners work, right? Amen. Amen. All right. But is that all we need? See, the maintenance mentality says we just need to make sure that the lights are working, that the air conditioner's working. We need to make sure that the doors are open when people want to come in, all of those kind of things. We adopt a maintenance mentality that says, okay, now it's not about addressing the need. Now it's about making us feel good and comfortable in this. This is not just a church thing. This is across the board in organizations. And so people start adopting a maintenance mentality as opposed to that visionary thrust forward. And the purpose changes in there somewhere. But strikingly, in every one of those test cases, when they adopted a mentality that says we're going to maintain what we have, inevitably, invariably, they began to decline. As a matter of fact, that church that I just got through talking about is a classic example of that. And that decline, left unchecked, ultimately will move an organization into nothingness, into irrelevance, and ultimately to the grave. Now with that in mind, we need to look at ourselves as a church from time to time and redream the dream. And revisit our purpose. 
to make sure that we're not just settling into business as usual. Now, this is now my second August to be with you. Last year was my first August. We weren't ready for this kind of a sermon series yet. But we're a year in now. I don't know how many years you're going to let me stay or the Lord's going to let me stay. But I can tell you this on a regular basis, at least once a year, we're going to pause from everything else that's going on and we're going to come back to what we're about. Because we can't afford to go into a maintenance mentality because just like that East Tennessee community, Lumberton and this area that we're talking about has people moving in by the droves. And if not another person moved in, there's plenty of people here for us to be reaching. Man, I was hoping somebody would say amen to that. No, no, no. It's too late. That's right. You missed your chance. So we need to come back to our purpose. So what I want to do today is take you to a point of purpose. comes from our Constitution that we adopted this year, just a handful of months ago. We quote our purpose to be, and then there's six different statements, and we'll take one per week, and we start with the one that's at the top of the list. We quote our purpose to be about worship. But you know, that part of it scares me just a little bit. What I want to do today is not so much argue biblically for worship, That's a slam dunk, okay? If you need me to establish for you that we ought to be about worship and the song service today didn't help you get there, then make an appointment. Brian, I'll sit down with you and we'll walk you through Scripture, okay? I don't want to argue today for the need for it. What I want to do today is get right down on the bottom shelf of how we live and let's talk about practical way to get there. You know, there's a a pastor, well-known pastor, who said a number of years ago, That he believed that the average Christian in an American church probably only worshipped once or twice in a lifetime. Really worshipped. Man, I hope he's wrong. Because you know what? We spent a lot of resource and a lot of time stuck in buildings like this, week in, week out, under the guise of worship. Before I go any further, let me just put, it, put the question right in your lap. How long has it been since you worshipped God? The fact is, if I'm going to ask that question, I need to give you something to use as the basic uh, understanding point of what worship is. So I'm going to give you my definition. All right, Here's why I qualify it that way. I've had a number of classes in seminary and other places where we had to sit down and we had to theologically chew on these concepts and come up with a definition for the professor that would make him happy. What I found was when we did that and made the professor happy, nobody in the real world could possibly understand what was being said. And I prefer to live right there on the bottom shelf. So I'm going to give you my definition, understanding that if I was in a seminary class, I'd probably flail, uh, fail, or flail for that matter, with it. But I'm comfortable with this definition. I think it grows out of my own study of Scripture. It's very simple. doesn't take a whole lot of uh, chewing on it to figure it out, although I'm going to chew on it a little bit with you here. Here's my definition of worship. It is the appropriate response to an encounter with God. I'm going to stop and let that sink in just a little bit. Worship is the appropriate response to an encounter with God. 
Now, here's part of the deal with that. That sort of, maybe pretty much, maybe definitively cuts against the grain of modern church functioning. I heard one preacher say it this way. Many people in churches are in it for the thrill of the fill. What can you do up there, Mr. Minister of Worship or Brother Pastor? What can you do to make me get emotionally invested in what's going on so that when I walk out of the back doors, emotionally, I'm way up here? Now, there's a number of things wrong with that. But one of the things that's wrong with that is you become the audience and you put pressure on the leaders up here to somehow move you to an emotional response that is favorable. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm just wicked enough in my thinking that if I just wanted to impact your emotions, I could do it right this second. I could say to Spencer, don't do this, Spencer. Don't do this. But I could say to him, go get on the Internet and pull down some Metallica and let's play it in here this morning. Some of you don't even know who Metallica is, okay? Let me just tell you, you'd get an emotional response if I played a little bit of Unforgiven for you this morning. Emotion is not the deal. Now, hear me say this. When you worship, you may in fact have an emotional response. You may not. But the key is that we don't shoot for the emotion. We shoot for the encounter. And then we get an appropriate response that comes with that. Now, if I, let me take, give you this example. I have a cousin who's from this general area, not from immediate place right here. He's in this general part of Texas. I'm being very general in this because some of his church friends might listen to this on the Internet. But there is a church in the town that he goes. Now, he used to go to this church, but he got a little bit out of that mode. Uh, And he said to me one time, if you come to church with me, then you need to wear your tennis shoes. Now, I like that, okay? I like laid back, all right? I could easily go in jeans and, you know, that kind of thing. Tennis shoes, not a bad thing. He said, no, you don't understand. I said, well, explain it to me. He said, in our church, when things really get rolling, people run laps for Jesus. I said, I ain't going to that church. (laughs) That's bad English, but that is good, solid application. I said, what do you mean they run laps? He said, I'm telling you, that's what they do. He said, the in, now they don't do it outside because heaven knows nobody wants to worship that much. Uh, inside, they run laps around the outside of the auditorium, around the front, around the back. Let me tell you, if you want to do that here, do it outside, okay? Because then we'll know if you're really serious about that kind of worship because it's hot out there. Anybody can do it in their conditioning. Just don't do it here, okay? Now, I'm not saying that's bad. But I am saying you're going to have to be at an emotional pitch to be pulling that off in church. Worship is more than just an emotional thing. And when we reduce worship to an emotional feel-good session, then we reduce what worship is all about and we fail ultimately in it. What happens is we start working to create the feeling. And it's all about attaining the emotion instead of the encounter. You see, the encounter is really what it's all about. So let me show you a little bit about how this definition works. Worship, notice this again. It is the appropriate response to an encounter. Now what I'm saying with that is it starts with an encounter with God. 
So the question then, preacher, is, all right, so how do I encounter God? Well, that's not a bad question at all. If I'm talking about totally removing the way we have approached it, maybe not we, but church in general, how does one encounter God? Well, there's all kinds of great answers to this. Let me just give you a couple out of my own experience. One of the ways that I have experienced encounters with God is through nature. You remember the old, well, I guess it's fairly old now, a guy named Louis Giglio. He's got a guitarist friend of his named Chris Tomlin. You might have heard of both of those guys. That They did a video that was tied, I think it was called Indescribable. Actually, there's, I think, three of them in one. And one of the things that Louis Giglio did with that is he started here and he went out into the heavens through the Hubble telescope pictures and that kind of stuff, and he just gradually took us further and further away from us and out there and saw all of the incredible beauty of what's out there. You might recognize the song that Chris Tomlin ties to that, that's uh, God of Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy. In that, he took us on a journey that said, look beyond yourself and you'll see the hand of God. And that drives us to worship. It is an encounter with God, and the appropriate response is worship. I had something on a much lesser scale. By the way, the second video went the other way. It went from out there to down to the microscopic. And still in the midst of that, you see the handiwork of God, and it moves you to worship. In my own experience... I told you before, I loved the backpack, or used to. And uh, in the old days, especially right out of high school, I used to go every chance that I got. And a friend of mine and I went to the southern New Mexico mountain range that the city of Rio Dosa is in, and Cloudcroft in that area. And uh, we left one day, uh, Friday after work, and went up, and we were going to backpack through the weekend. Didn't have maps or anything like that, which is dumb. And... Uh, so we got there and we camped out and part of the not having maps thing means that we didn't realize they didn't have water, which is dumb to go backpacking where there's no water. And so anyway, we found ourselves there and one day we got up on Saturday morning and we started hiking, hiked through the day and got into the early afternoon and we came up and broke out of the tree line and right in front of us was this, not really a cliff, but a very steep fall off and a bald mountaintop. And we looked at each other, and we were both 19 years of age or so, and we said, let's go to the top. You know, at 51 years of age, I realize that's dumb, okay? Uh, the number of reasons, uh, but it was, we just decided we were going to do it. So several hours later, we drug ourselves to the top of that mountain. Now, you have to understand, in my life, I was running from the Lord at that point. I didn't have any use for God or the things of God or the people of God. And my friend Floyd and I sat on top of that mountain. And we began to look out. And it was high enough that we could see above everything around us. We looked out towards uh, Las Cruces and towards El Paso, that area. And we could see the white sands that were out there. We looked the other direction. We could see this mountain range going all the way up as it heads its way up through uh, Albuquerque towards Colorado. Everywhere we looked, we could just see for miles and miles and miles. And I sat there thinking, wow, this is cool. But while we were sitting there, because it was late afternoon, 
While we were sitting on top trying to regather ourselves before we headed down, clouds started rolling in. We sat on top of that mountain, not in the clouds, but above the clouds. It was like sitting on the wing of an airplane that's stationary in the sky. It was the most incredible thing that I had experienced to that point in my life. And as much as I was running from God and didn't have use for God, (laughs) I encountered God in that moment. If you look around you in nature and recognize the handiwork of God, you're going to do some worshiping. Let me give you a little homework for today, all right? I'll make it easy on you because it's hot out there. It's roughly, I, I saw the weather forecast. It's supposed to be 245 degrees today. <clears throat> so wait till this evening, okay? Go out about 8.30 or 9 o'clock tonight and sit out in your yard and just watch the sky. Now, by that time, it's already starting to get dark. Maybe it's already dark at that time. But watch and take note when the stars start showing up or if you happen to live in town and you can only see eight stars in the sky because of the lights around you look down and look at the grass look at the trees that are in your yard or in your neighbor's yard and consider the complexity of every one of those things consider what goes in to a simple leaf when you consider it you're going to find it's not really all that simple and you realize that God spoke the words and it was You see, when you have one of those encounters with God, you might get emotional, but the emotion is not what triggers it. It's an encounter with the holy. It's an encounter with God himself and his creation that's all around us. You don't have to work that up. It just happens if you're looking. Sometimes, though, God... Well, I'm going to try to be nice to God about this one. You ever notice how God has sometimes just rude in the way he interrupts our living? You remember the guy named Moses? Hello? They lost me, right? All right, the guy named Moses. He's walking out in the backside of the wilderness, minding his own business. And what does God do? (laughs) Guess what, Moses? Everything changes today. You wouldn't even know the name Moses if it hadn't been for that day. Out, minding his own business, boom, bush starts burning. Now Moses was enough like you and like me that he looks over and sees this forest fire that is contained and doesn't consume what it's there consuming, non-consuming consumables that consume, I don't even know what all that means. Except Moses saw it and went, something's not right with this. So he walks over, and what happens? God says, yo, Moses, everything changes today. God did that to me, not with the burning bush thing. I was at Glorietta Conference Center, again in New Mexico in the mountains. I was doing God's work. I was minding my own business doing God's work. 
went, take a bunch of people up to a Sunday school conference up there, and I'm sitting in a worship service, gets to the invitation time, and we all know invitations for somebody else, right? And so I'm sitting there. I'm the pastor, or the youth pastor who brought all these people to that particular place, and I'm sitting there listening to the preacher, except all of a sudden I see his lips moving and I don't hear a word he's saying because God interrupts my church service and says to me, everything changes right now and let me tell you something I worshipped that night and God changed my whole calling in the ministry it's not because I worked it up it's because I was in a position to hear from God and he showed up an appropriate response to an encounter with God. How do you get these encounters? That's our problem, I think. That's where I really kind of want to zero in for us. One of the best places to encounter God is in his word. But when we approach his word as if it's an academic exercise rather than a love letter from a holy God who says to you, I have something to say to you in this, then we miss the encounter. And it becomes a school thing for us rather than an encounter. Job's a great example of some of what I'm talking about here. You know the story of Job? And you go back and you can look at it. I'll tell you what, you know, people talk about the patience of Job. They hadn't read the whole book of Job, I don't think. Because there comes a point in the latter part of the book of Job where where Job gets right down serious with God. Kind of like you and I do sometimes. Or at least you want to, but you don't feel like you have the permission to. Job says, hey, what's the deal? I don't deserve this. Now that's a road trammel version of what he said. And I love when you get to like chapter 38, 39 there. God says back to Job, after Job's had his little venting session with God, God says to Job, okay, sit down, son, and let's talk. You go read it. God gets straight up serious with Job. And at the end of that, Job 42, verse 5, Job says this to God, Before my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I repent in ashes. That's an encounter that triggers worship and it changes Job. We have the opportunity to encounter God at all points of our living. So then why is worship so elusive for us? If the guy's right that the average Christian only worships two or three times for real in his whole life... Lord, help me, I hope he's wrong. But if he's right, why is worship so elusive for us? If it's something where it's just an encounter with God and we respond appropriately, why is that so hard for us? And I think part of the answer is because we fail to create space for the encounter. Now listen carefully. This is that practical level of what I'm talking about today. I I have a friend who's... um, he can do anything in construction stuff in a house. I, I'm amazed. I, I, I go talk to him, and I see the stuff that he's done in his own house, and it blows my mind. I, you know, I'm like, you know, well, anyway, I go over there, and he says, you see this wall right here? I said, yes, sir. He said, that used to not be there. Okay, I get that. I've seen people build walls. That part doesn't bother me too much. But he says, you see this doorway where there's nothing. I said, yeah, he said, that used to be a commode. 
That's a miracle. If it went from being a commode to being gone, that's just a miracle to me. And he moves stuff in his house and he moves walls and he's moving commodes and windows and stuff like that. And he makes it look like it was built that way in the first place. I don't get that, but I love to go and just look and see what he's done. So he took me in and he had been working on his countertop in his kitchen. And it's tile and it has a splash guard that's tile. The fact that I even know splash guard word is an amazing thing because I'm just not a homemaker kind of guy or a home whatever. So I'm saying, explain this to me. I know about floor tile and the grouting process, but how do you get it to stand up straight like that? Don't get that because it looks like it came straight from the showroom. He said, oh, it's easy. (laughs) I'm thinking, right. He said, let me show you. He takes me out to the garage. He takes this little piece about the size of my Bible of that tile. It's mesh, some kind of mesh, with little tiles about one inch wide and probably two and a half or three inches long. And they're all glued to that mesh. That makes sense? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? All right, now, I want you to hear me carefully. What I said was one of the reasons we struggle with our encounters with God is because we don't make space for that encounter. Our lives are like the mesh, okay? It represents our sum total of the time that we have and what we do with ourselves. And so we put these big blocks of stuff that are maybe uniform. You know, you go to work every day, same time. You know what you're going to do there. You have kids, so do that. Our life's the mesh. The stuff of our lives are those pieces of tile. You with me? Okay? Now, if we left it like that, before any of the grouting takes place, then we have space around those events of our lives that God can fill, that we can have encounters with God in those spaces. With me? Yes? All right. So what we do, like good home remodelers, is we come in with grout, which is the other stuff of our lives, and we fill in the spaces. So we find ourselves from before we even get out of bed till long after we go to bed with a schedule that is so tight there's no space for an encounter with God. You wake up in the morning, you go in, and you flip on the television. Well, excuse me. First things first, you turn on the coffee pot. And then you turn on the television. Because Lord knows you might have missed something in the five hours that you were asleep. Or you turn on the radio, and you jump in your car, and you head to work, and you got input all the time, input all the time, input. Until you go to bed in the evening, and you just want the world to stop. Because you've grouted your life so there's no empty spaces. And we wonder why we go weeks and months without encountering a holy God who says, I'm just waiting for you. I gave you 24 hours today and you didn't have a minute for me. Worship. We fail to create the space for the encounter. We fill the gaps with stuff. We don't have space anymore. So sometimes it seems like God's got to pull a miracle off just to get us to have space for him. That happened to me. (laughs) I went on a trip, part of my school stuff. By the way, if you're in the education process, I know you already school starts real soon. Everybody's happy. Look at our teenagers going... Right, 
goodness. I was in the process of going to school a number of years ago now, and they gave us 11 different dozen books to read. It was incredible, the, the workload that they gave us. And then they told us, now we want you to create space in your schedule for God. Hello, you just gave me all these books to read and papers to write. Well, go on a retreat. This is a continuing learning retreat. So I scheduled this one in the mountains of Colorado. If I can't worship in the mountains, it ain't happening, okay? So I thought I'll just go up there. and this is the, the whole retreat was focused at the point of quietness and being with God so God could speak. I thought, this is what I need. Now, I had to write a paper about it, so I'd take notes while I was there. But I also took a stack of books because I thought I'm going to be there for four or five days. Man, I could get a lot of reading done for school. And so this guy who's leading this whole thing, Richard Foster, some of you might know the name, he says to us, now, what we want to do is create space for the Lord in this week. So we want you to have times every day where you don't talk at all. An entire conference where nobody was talking. I thought, that's great reading time. Look how much I can get done. So at one point, I wandered off and went to this outdoor chapel. It's outside of Winter Park, Colorado. It's 14,000-foot cliffs all around you. And I walked out there, outdoor chapel, and I sat down in one of those outdoor pews. And I was looking out across this valley, thinking about how much work I had to do, but making myself sit back and say, okay, just chill out. And God met me there. I'll tell you how it happened. I looked down. There was a flower at my foot. I'm not a big flower guy. Dallas Cowboys, Houston, Texans, sports. Okay, flowers, not so much. I looked down. There's this flower down there. What caught my eye was the bee that was on it. All right? So I'm not. I'm not a bee guy, okay? So I was thinking about walking across the top of those pews to get away from the, from the bee. And then I realized the bee, the bee didn't care about me at all. He was doing a bee thing with the flower. The bee dance with the flower. I started watching him. I started thinking about how the whole system works with bees and flowers and stuff. And then I started thinking about the flower. And I started thinking. And in the midst of that, I didn't even realize it. And then there was a God moment for me. I'm worried about all these assignments that I have to do. And out here in the middle of everywhere, life just is because God said it is. See, I never would have seen that if I'd have been in my room reading. Okay, reading means grouting, means filling up empty spaces. We don't create space. For those encounters with God. How long has it been for you. Since you stepped out of the rat race. And just waited on God. No music. No social media. Believe it or not. Your friends. Will survive if you don't tweet them. Every time you turn around. We need to create space. For the encounter. Oh by the way. That brings me to my text for the day. That's all introduction. Psalm 131. Let me give it to you real quick. Five minutes and we're done. Here's the deal. Psalm 131 is towards the end of a group of the Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T. 
every Jewish male and their families were required to attend three festivals, religious festivals, in Jerusalem every year. It was a requirement by the law of the Old Testament. And so what happened was those three times a year, these pilgrimages happened. So from all over the countryside in Israel, these people would drop everything that they were doing, make their way to Jerusalem, and while they were there, it was a time for their big religious festivals, and you can read into that their worship services. Okay, And so the psalmist, uh, or actually several psalmists, write these various psalms, and they are collected into this group called the Psalms of Ascent. As these pilgrims made their way from the countryside to Jerusalem, which was always up geographically and otherwise, then they did this singing as they went. And they collected these into this group from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, the Psalms of Ascent. One of these days I'll preach the series because it's not just a collection of songs. It's also a progression spiritually that we find in the Christian life. And in this, we find the psalmist. Now in Psalm 131, they find themselves in Jerusalem. You can just imagine the press of humanity that's there. People from all over the country, they're there anticipating worship, all of that kind of stuff. And so they show up in Jerusalem and the fever pitch atmosphere. Strike that and hear me say it in today's terms. The emotional worship service charge is everywhere. And the psalmist cuts it when he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Verse 1 says, I'm coming humbly. I'm coming with great humility because I know that I don't deserve this encounter. Verse 2, and listen carefully to what he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Read that. I have created space for the encounter. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The picture is of these families as they're pilgriming from the countryside to Jerusalem. Here's a child who is old enough to understand the rigors of travel like that. They're walking probably several days journey. It's hot. They need water. This child is old enough to understand all of that. And yet the picture is this child laying in its mother's arms totally at rest. That's the picture the psalmist says. When I come into all of this commotion that we call worship, I have calmed, stilled, it says, and soothed my soul. It's not about the stuff, the trappings of worship. It's about creating space for an encounter with God. And God shows up and blows your mind. That's the picture. So as we come to this time today, let me just ask you, what is the stuff that is in your life that is snatching away the worship opportunity? If you're here waiting for this guy with all of the talent that he has and the insight that he has and the walk with God that he, if you're waiting for him to take you to a point of worship, you're looking to the wrong guy. 
If you're waiting for me to say something in some flowery language or some kind of golden statement, you're looking to the wrong guy. Worship is an encounter with living God. It's the appropriate response to that. So you need to clear the stage of your life. You take all the stuff that gets in the way and strike the stage. Just clear it off and listen to the voice of God. Check out this song. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few then have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins, you can't be so sure. And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store. Know that great is your reward, so just be hopeful. Cause you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. Sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Oh, worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made. And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. And beg and please to open up his mouth and speak. And pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life. Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Read the word and put the test of things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. Clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can 
Stop thinking of Is it idle? Here's the invitation for you today. Some of you have encountered the living God today, maybe for the first time. You've been sitting there and you walked in here thinking you're going to have regular church. And God broke in in a very rude way. And you know that everything changes today. You stand face to face with a holy God and he says, I make this demand on your life. I want all of it. As much as that scares you, you know that the life you've been living is not all that great anyway. For the first time, there's hope. Won't you surrender to the God who says, I'll meet you here. I'll change your life. I'll give you a life that's worth living. My invitation to you today, if that's your story, is just slip up. Stand up, slip out from where you're at. Come down here and let us talk to you about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gives us life. How is it with your worship? Many of us have decided to be followers of Christ and we jump through the church hoops to do all of that stuff and we do it right. We fall into that category that says, well, maybe once I remember really worshiping. I've been emotional a million times. But to see God face to face, not all that regular. Today's the day. It can all change. You can slip out and you come up here, we'll pray with you. You can rededicate your life. You can do all that. And I encourage that. But you don't have to do that. You can make this choice right there where you stand. And today is the day that everything changes for you worshiping on purpose with your life are you creating space for the encounter with a living God who longs for you what do you do with all of this let's all stand as we sing together